0: Take your Bible, please, and meet me in uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. On January 24th, 1848, on the South Fork of the American River in the sleepy town of Coloma, California, a discovery of epic proportions was made. Gold. Near the water wheel of Sutter's Mill, a mere 28 miles from where we sit today, was found a few tiny gold nuggets that made history. News of the discovery traveled quickly, and thousands of lives were forever changed. Coming from literally all over the world, people flocked to California with little more than a dream. Willing to forego whatever it was, whatever they were doing at the time, they packed their belongings and moved west in hope of striking it rich. The California gold rush was in full effect. The discovery of gold changed the world as we know it. And in today's scripture, Jesus describes a discovery of another sort that can dramatically change your life and your future for the better, for like the pioneers of yesteryear, we—I believe this. I believe we are treasure seekers as well. We too are sometimes consumed with the anticipation of new discovery. I think, I think perhaps buried beneath the many layers of monotonous predictability, uh, we are dreamers at heart. Surely, I have to believe there's someone here in this room this morning who's seeking better things. Is there not? And yet, isn't it true that our various pursuits are often misguided and leave us wanting? Even those who struck it rich back in the day learned that while worldly riches may buy more stuff, they simply cannot satisfy the inner longings of a person's soul. God has placed eternity in our hearts and thus this, this, this desire that calls for more, this, this yearning within that, uh, that, that just pursues and longs for more is ultimately fulfilled in God alone. This summer, we're considering the seven parables recorded here in Matthew 13, in which Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven. He is describing life with God. He is painting word pictures that compare the kingdom of God to the everyday experience of life on earth. And today, we're looking at uh, at two twin parables. That both convey essentially the same thing, namely that when we give all of ourselves to Jesus, we discover the incomparable worth of the kingdom of heaven. And so let's read this together Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. ...hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Father, I want to thank you for our time this morning. In your word, and I want to thank you for your word. thank you for revealing your heart to us, here, in through your word, and for for the many ways your word exposes our hearts as well. and so today, Father, would you please enable us to hear your voice? Would you, o Holy Spirit, please? move among us and even within each one of us so that we may be like these men in these parables who surrender all for the wonder of Jesus. And we ask this in His great name. Amen. These two parables deal with two men and their response to the kingdom of heaven. Look again at the parable of the hidden treasure. So great was this treasure that when it was discovered, it prompted an amazing spontaneous response. Nothing in the story suggests the man was searching, but seemingly he found this treasure by accident, and upon finding it, he covered it again to protect it and not lose it. Then he went and he sold all he had before returning to buy that field and secure that treasure for himself. If you've ever seen uh, uh, Antiques Roadshow, you've ever seen Antiques Roadshow, then you've, ser- you've seen certain individuals who come to the show to have their various uh, belongings assessed and appraised, and on occasion, someone will bring an item they assume to be relatively simple, only to learn that it is a priceless find. When I was growing up, my dad and I had, or my dad had a metal detector, and we would sometimes walk the fields around our home in search of buried treasure. We'd find bottle caps and coins and arrowheads, but but one day we unearthed the stock of an old worn-out rifle. And what a find it was to us. Where did it come from? Who had it belonged to? If it could speak, what stories would it tell? But the man in this story didn't find an old, worn-out stock of a rifle. He didn't find a collectible antique. He found something much, much better, something that stirred in him joy, uh, stirred in him such joy that he gave up everything to have it. Today, I have no idea what became of that old rifle stock, but I do know that neither my dad nor I were willing to give up anything for it. Except for maybe a couple of hours on a Saturday afternoon. Yet here is this man in this parable going about his day when suddenly... New worlds of joy were open to him, and and no price was too great if only he could have it. Joy he never knew before, joy he probably never thought existed, joy he wasn't expecting, but when the incomparable joy of that treasure flooded his being, everything else paled by comparison." The man in the second parable had a similar experience. (coughs) Here, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a merchant. Excuse me. (coughs) Hmm. I think I got it. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a merchant in search of fine pearls. And as precious as pearls are now, they were even more valuable then. Because finding the oysters and harvesting the pearls was much more dangerous as it is today. Today we have the advantage of modern equipment But that wasn't the case then. And so the pearl business was a perilous one, and the age-old principle of supply and demand placed enormous value on even a single pearl. And unlike the man in the first parable who found his treasure by accident, this merchant was searching for fine pearls. A businessman, he was working the deal. He's buying and he's selling, and he's turning a profit. And then he comes upon... This one pearl that captures him, captivates him, one of such purity and clarity. It was unlike any he'd ever seen before, and he'd seen many, many pearls. But this pearl was so wonderful, so perfect, that that this man, who made it his life's work to understand the value and beauty of pearls, finally found one, He couldn't live without owning. And so overwhelmed by this fine, he sold all he had to acquire that pearl. Not just his other pearls. No, he sold everything. All he possessed, he gave. And in these parables, the real question is ownership. Who did the treasure... Belonged to. The person who buried it never returned to claim it, so we might conclude that he or she was no longer around. Obviously, the man who dug it up didn't own the field, or he could have claimed legal ownership of the treasure. And therefore, we might imagine that he was this man, that he was a hired hand who accidentally discovered the buried treasure while plowing or working the field. Maybe he could have just taken the treasure since after all he found it, but he wanted more than just possession. He wanted ownership. And once he bought the field, he owned the treasure buried in it. Church possession is not the same as ownership. Just because you dig up something does not mean you own it. Some archaeological treasures are the property of the landowner. Others are property of the government. We call them national treasures. Additionally, recent regulations regarding uh, Native American artifacts means that some items are the property of specific tribal groups and thus cannot be. Owned by any one person. Not every discovery is a matter of finders, keepers, losers, weepers. It's not enough to merely possess the item. What matters is who. Owns it. And so Jesus indicates that this man wants to own the treasure, not just possess it. Same with the pearl merchant. He knows the value of what he found. He's devoted his entire life to this search. So he freely gives everything he has to own that pearl for himself. You see, the kingdom is too wonderful to merely possess, it's worth everything we have if we're to share in a sense of ownership. Sally and I have, I'm sure this is the case for many of you, Sally and I have uh, lived in a few different neighborhoods over the course of our married lives, and one thing I've noticed is the difference between an owner and a renter. Now, the renter, though perhaps very conscientious and a great neighbor, typically does not get attached to the home. Maybe he's in town temporarily for a year or two while on a work uh, transfer, for instance, and therefore he views the home as something to simply possess with uh, with very few strings attached. The homeowner, however, approaches her abode in an entirely different way, an entirely different manner. She is attached to on many levels, financially, emotionally, physically, and therefore she tends to enjoy and appreciate her home in a much more personal way than the renter. And these parables remind me of that, in that ownership makes all the difference. It's just like how we encourage our children, don't we, to take ownership of their faith rather than just mimicking ours. Jesus uses these tiny parables to teach something huge about life with God in His kingdom. And they talk about being at home with God, about how being at home with God is well worth whatever it may cost you. What the men in these parables discovered was more than an earthly treasure or a priceless jewel. In essence, they discovered heaven on earth. They discovered God's kingdom, which, hear this, is personified in God's Son, Jesus Christ. I've said this with each of the kingdom parables thus far, that God's kingdom refers specifically to His reign, to His rule, In a person's life, and our acknowledgement of God's reign or God's rule uh, is manifest in our lives only as we joyfully surrender to the lordship of Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, heaven was revealed like never before. As king of the kingdom, he began his earthly ministry saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is now at hand. When others asked Jesus when and how God's kingdom would come, He replied, referring to Himself, that it's already come and it's in the midst of you. Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father, He said on repeated occasions. His miracles, the calming of the storming sea, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the feeding of thousands with only a few provisions, all of these and more testified that God is sovereign Over all creation, when people heard Jesus teach, they marveled because He spoke with an authority of a higher kingdom, one not of this world. In Jesus, the kingdom of God is seen and heard and known. In love, God invites us to share in His kingdom, which takes hold in our lives as we acknowledge Christ as the King of our lives. What was it? That compelled these men to sell all they had. It was the incomparable worth of the kingdom and the one in whom they could experience it. These parables picture the person who discovers Jesus for him or herself. Some find Him in a moment when they least expect it, like the man in the first parable. Others, like the pearl merchant, come to Jesus after a long, hard search. They've tested all kinds of philosophies and religions, but when they come across the truth of life with God, by His grace, through your faith in Jesus, they recognize they've found what they've been searching for all along because the person who knows Jesus has discovered at once the source of all joy. Not only is Jesus good, He is the source of all goodness. Not only is Jesus strong, He is the source of all strength. Not only is Jesus the Prince of Peace, He is the source of all peace. Not only is Jesus true, He is the source of all truth. Not only is Jesus wise, He is the source of all wisdom. Not only is Jesus loving, He is the source of all love. Not only is Jesus the Son of God, He is God. In Jesus Christ, we have in one person the source of of infinite joy so that the person who finds Jesus finds all things at once. Colossians chapter 1 puts it like this, For by Him, by Jesus, by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him, All things hold together. All of life means to lead us to Jesus. All aspirations, dreams, and goals are given purpose in Jesus. In Jesus, there is a heavenly treasure lying in the field of this broken, sin-stricken world. In Jesus, there is a heavenly pearl that fulfills the longings of the human soul. The Bible Refers to this in Philippians chapter 3 when the Apostle Paul talks about how nothing in life compares to Jesus. Though Paul had accomplished so much in life, so much that we strive to attain higher education, impeccable reputation, authority and influence, etc. None of it, Paul said, none of it measured up to Jesus. And so he said in his own words, whatever gain I had, and he had a lot. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ because of His surpassing worth. Like the men in our two parables, Paul was convinced that Jesus was worthy of all he had. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it that some people seem to experience Jesus in ways others do not? And could it be because they simply have come to this place where they view Him and their friendship with Him as the most important thing in their lives. Though they deal with the same stuff of life, problems on the job, chores around the house, assignments and deadlines bills that are mounting, family demands and get-togethers, times with friends and neighbors, these folks have learned to seek God's kingdom first and walk beside King Jesus by faith. For many, however, the wide-eyed wonder of discovery has given way to status quo. The late pastor Mike Iaconelli, one of my youth ministry heroes, once wrote, Sin is more than turning our backs on God. It's turning our backs on life. Immorality is much more than adultery or dishonesty. It's living a drab, colorless, dreary, stale, unimaginative life. The greatest enemy of Christianity, he said, may be people who say they believe in Jesus, but who are no longer astonished and amazed. Jesus Christ came to rescue us from listlessness as well as lostness. He came to save us from flat souls as well as corrupted souls. He came to save us from dullness. Our culture is awash in immorality and drowning in dullness. We've forgotten how to dance, how to sing, how to laugh. We've allowed technology to beat our imaginations into submission, and we've become tourists rather than travelers. Television dominates our time. It alters our values. It numbs us to life in all of its wildness. In short, we've been stunted by mediocrity. And church, let's not assume, please, let's not assume that we're above this or somehow not susceptible to this, to this mediocrity. These two parables, the parable of the net that follows, which we'll consider next week, these parables were spoken. I want you to notice this. these, These parables were spoken not to the crowds, but to the disciples themselves as we read in verse 36. In other words, though these things, these truths, certainly these truths apply to everyone, but Jesus at this time was speaking specifically to his own followers. In a sense then, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to church folk. If left unchecked, we can project an air of Christianity, can't we? Without ever really, truly embracing Christ. We can go to church, sing our songs, carry our Bibles, uh, even do some ministry along the way, but fail to discover the treasure that is Jesus and the incomparable joy of walking in friendship with God. I once met a friend for coffee and we talked about these parables. And I asked him what he was discovering anew about himself and God. That's a good question to ask each other every now and then. And with hardly any hesitation, he shared so simple and yet so profound. He said he was learning the joy of pursuing God at work each day. No longer was his job simply a means to make money. No longer was he just punching the clock. No longer was he settling for monotonous routine. Instead, he had discovered that Jesus was present in the workplace too. Not just the religious or spiritual areas of our lives as he had first assumed... He had discovered the joy of friendship with Jesus while at work. And the joy of that discovery, the joy of discovery itself, of anticipating what God was going to do each day. He had learned that it's more important to live with God than merely to make a living. Loved ones, the treasure found in Jesus is limitless and it is available to you. But it does come with cost. There is a price to be paid. In each of the parables, each man sold all he had and purchased that which was infinitely more valuable. And while we cannot buy God's kingdom, that's not the point, a purchase is made nonetheless. A transaction occurs. And this is it. All of Christ for all of you. Jesus said in Matthew 10.39, whoever finds his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In the end, our money and material things are unable to secure our place in Christ's kingdom. Sin has so corrupted us that even our good deeds fall woefully short. But the king himself paid the price we could never pay by giving his life for ours. He who knew no sin bore our sins on the cross. He died in our place. He rose to new life and God grants new life to all who give themselves to Jesus by faith. True life is yours today when you lose yourself in Jesus. That's the transaction that must take place if you're to inherit ownership in the kingdom of heaven, will you give yourself to Him who gave Himself for you? Are you willing to lose that which you cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose, as Jim Elliot so famously stated? All of Christ for all of you. And that's a bargain. So, where is your treasure this morning? What consumes you? What gets you excited? What are you holding on to? Your career? Your retirement? Your reputation, your education, your hobbies, your addictions, your entertainment, your stuff. Is it your own sense of self-righteousness you need to let go of today? Jesus taught that wherever your treasure lies is where your heart lies also. And if our heart is divided, then we will remain unfulfilled and always searching. so is your church op- uh, is your is your heart open to the things of god this morning and even to god himself and I, and I, and i ask these questions having asked them of myself and i'm asking the lord to really do the necessary heart level work As we consider our answers, have you settled for worthless trinkets when you could have unimaginable treasure? Have you settled for dime store baubles when you could have a priceless pearl? Life in God's kingdom is so good and so worthwhile that it's worth whatever you're holding on to. Today, maybe what you need is just to talk with God about these things. Maybe you'd want to pray and just ask for God's help in discerning your heart and the priorities of your life. Maybe, like David in Psalm 139, you'd want to pray something like Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me. God, please, I want you to search me. I want you to try me. I want you to see in me, put the spotlight of truth upon my heart and I want you to see if I want to see I want you to see and I want you to help me see if there's anything grievous in me so that you can lead me in the way everlasting. One of my all time favorite prayers along these lines comes from one of my early Christian mentors A.W. Tozer, when he wrote, "He wrote, "O oh God, I have tested thy goodness, I, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more." Can you relate with that? I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want to want Thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me Thy glory, I pray Thee, that so I may know Thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. Keenly aware of your wandering heart, but wanting to want more of God. Thanks, Kyle. Can I encourage you, if that's you this morning, would you just admit that to him without shame? I have prayed that prayer, that very same prayer, and then in, in my own words, I've prayed that prayer more times than I can count. And I'll pray it again. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. So here's my heart, take and seal it. Life with God begins and continues with openness and honesty, just like we'd expect from any healthy relationship. It begins and continues by His perfect love and the expression of your love for Him, however imperfect it may be at present. Hundreds of thousands from across the world rushed Northern California some 170 years ago. They gave up homes and jobs. Some left families behind. They endured long and arduous travel and disease along the way. They suffered harsh weather and were often without adequate food or shelter. And this they did in pursuit of an elusive, earthly treasure that does not last and cannot satisfy. But in Jesus Christ, we discover a treasure of immeasurable worth that satisfies forever. For to find friendship with Jesus, all of Him, for all of you, is to discover the incomparable kingdom of heaven. Amen. Father, please impress these truths upon us moment by moment and day by day that we may be in this continual, ongoing pursuit of these inexhaustible riches, enjoying the wonder of Jesus day by day. Amen.